European Heart Journal Case Reports 2022. I'm Dr. Jenny Han, podcast editor. Today, I'll be talking about a case report by Denia Lawen, Madan Rajpudel, Thorsten Lowens, and Christoph Stelbrink, titled A Patient with Congenital Long QT Syndrome Type 2 Presenting with Electrical Storm. Don't judge a book by its cover. Long QT syndrome is a primary arrhythmia syndrome caused by mutations in genes encoding ion channels responsible for cardiac repolarization. And patients are at higher risk of ventricular arrhythmias such as VF, ventricular fibrillation. However, there are other important conditions which lead to ventricular arrhythmias. This case report demonstrates a patient with long QT syndrome presenting with electrical storm where the etiology was not as straightforward as it initially seemed. The case. A 47-year-old woman presented to the emergency department after experiencing an ICD, implantable cardioverter defibrillator, shock while asleep. She had a cardiac history of long QT syndrome, which was diagnosed at the age of 23 after presenting with a VF cardiac arrest. At that time, her boyfriend immediately started CPR, cardiopulmonary resuscitation, and the rhythm was eventually successfully terminated by defibrillation. Subsequent ECGs, electrocardiograms, showed a significantly prolonged corrected QT interval. Genetic testing revealed long QT syndrome type 2. She had a dual chamber ICD implanted at the time and was started on beta blockers. She then remained free of events for 24 years until this current presentation. She was also a current smoker and had hypothyroidism. On arrival to the emergency department, she went into electrical storm, needing six ICD shocks and intravenous magnesium for recurrent VF. Clinical examination was unremarkable. Initial ECG showed atrially triggered ventricular pacing but subsequent ECGs showed distinct SD segment elevation in the inferior leads. She was given aspirin and heparin. An urgent angiogram showed a short segment of 20% stenosis in the middle third of the LAD, left anterior descending artery. An osteal short segment of 90% stenosis of the diagonal branch. And a 10 mm long subtotal occlusion of the middle section of the RCA right coronary artery. The team then dilated the lesion with a balloon and then implanted a drug-eluting stent, which was able to achieve revascularization. During the procedure, glycoprotein 2B3A inhibitors were infused and she was loaded with ticagrelor. Immediately after revascularization, she had normal atrioventricular conduction. Biochemistry supported that she had an acute MI, myocardial infarction, as both her troponin and creatine kinase were elevated. Fortunately, an echocardiogram performed two days later showed preserved biventricular function and no obvious regional wall motion abnormalities. She was stable and was discharged a few days afterwards with dual antiplatelet therapy. At five months of follow-up, she remains free of both angina and arrhythmias. Discussion. In this case, we saw a patient with previously stable long QT syndrome suddenly present with ventricular arrhythmias. In the following discussion, we have a general look at long QT syndrome, risk stratification for treatment in this population, 
other differential diagnoses for causes of VF, and any aspects in this case which would suggest a cause other than non-QT syndrome as the reason for her presentation with electrical storm. Congenital non-QT syndrome is a group of conditions which are channelopathies. These are from mutations in genes which code for sodium, potassium or calcium ion channels. The types of non-QT syndrome were traditionally defined as Romano-Ward syndrome or Gerval and Lang-Nielsen syndrome by the individuals who initially characterised it, where Romano-Ward syndrome is autosomal recessive and associated with deafness and Gerval and Lang-Nielsen syndrome is autosomal dominant and associated with normal hearing. Now, long QT syndrome tends to be categorised by the underlying genetic mutation. Historically, 17 genes have been associated with long QT syndrome, but a 2020 reappraisal reclassified 9 of these as having limited or disputed evidence for causing long QT syndrome. The most common syndromes are the first three. Long QT1 is from a mutation in the KCNQ1 gene, which leads to the loss of function in the slow-delayed rectifier potassium channel. It has a 63% incidence of cardiac events, and it is normally triggered by exercise. Long QT2, which this patient had in this case report, is from a mutation in the KCNH2 gene, which leads to the loss of function in the rapid-delayed rectifier potassium channel. It has a 46% incidence of cardiac events and is normally triggered by loud noises or emotion. Long QT3 is from a mutation in the SCNA5 gene, which leads to a gain of function in the cardiac sodium channel. It normally occurs during sleep and, although it only has an 18% incidence of cardiac events, the likelihood of dying during an event is 20% which is higher than the 4% reported for long QT1 and 2. For diagnosis, European guidelines recommend the use of the Schwartz score, which calculates the probability of long QT syndrome through symptoms, family history, corrected QT interval, and ECG parameters. A high probability of long QT syndrome, which is a Schwartz score of greater or equal to 3.5, or a corrected QT interval on repeated ECGs of greater or equal to 500 milliseconds leads to definitive diagnosis through genetic testing. Ventricular arrhythmia comes about from lengthening the last part of the action potential, leading to early after depolarizations, and when this reaches the activation threshold, can lead to several rapid action potentials and degenerate into fast polymorphic ventricular arrhythmia. In patients who have had a cardiac arrest, ICD implantation is the first-line treatment together with a beta blocker, and this is a class 1 recommendation in both European and American guidelines. If these patients have a contraindication to ICD, or decline it, or if there are appropriate ICD shocks after implantation of an ICD. European guidelines recommend left cardiac sympathetic denervation, which is the removal of the left thoracic sympathetic chain and paravertebral ganglia from T1 to T4. In those who have not had a cardiac arrest, first-line treatment is through a beta blocker, but if they become symptomatic while on the beta blocker or cannot tolerate it, then guidelines recommend either an ICD or left cardiac sympathetic denervation.
for additional treatment, medicines which block the late sodium inward current, such as mixilatine, flaconide, and ranolazine, can be useful in long QT1. Potassium supplementation is important, though especially effective in long QT2, as the conductance slope of the rapid-delayed rectifier potassium channel depends on the extracellular potassium level. Electrical storm has been defined in various ways, but definitions generally include three or more recurrent ventricular arrhythmias in a patient without an ICD, or three or more appropriate ICD shocks within 24 hours. This patient presented with electrical storm with multiple ICD shocks. The first thing to consider is that this might be due to ICD malfunction from factors such as electrical noise, oversensing, or lead fracture. For this patient, the device was giving appropriate shocks. It may be tempting to attribute this to a failure of therapy, but it is important to think about the other differentials of arrhythmia, as some of the triggers are reversible. These include acute MI, diarotoxicosis, drug toxicity, electrolyte imbalances, and acquired QT prolongation. Lots of these differentials can be distinguished through blood tests, but diagnosing acute MI in someone with a PACE QRS complex may be tricky and may delay reperfusion therapy. Scarbosa's criteria are a set of ECG findings which suggest MI in the presence of a left bundle branch block or a ventricular pace rhythm. A score of three or more has a 90% specificity for MI, which the paced ECG rhythm for this patient satisfied. The fact that her long QT syndrome was stable for many years before her presentation with electrical storm raises the question that something new may have happened to trigger VF. Her subtype of long QT2 often presents with a trigger of emotional stress, and her presentation during sleep is atypical for this. Her presentation at the age of 47 is also at an age where acquired heart disease becomes more likely to occur. Looking at her risk factors for MI, the team did assess lipids and HbA1c, which were in the normal range, but she may have had an increased risk of MI due to her smoking history. However, it is important not to think of these two pathologies in isolation. It may be that her long QT syndrome led to lower thresholds for VF in the presence of an acute MI. The authors have highlighted the following learning points. Diagnostic investigation in patients with inherited primary arrhythmia syndrome presenting with ventricular tachyarrhythmias should always include the search for additional acquired heart disease. Signs of ischemia can be discerned even in a PACE ECG, which should lead to immediate cardiac catheterization and revascularization if necessary. Thank you to the authors of this case report for highlighting this fascinating case for us. And thank you for listening to European Heart Journal Case Reports podcasts. References used to create this podcast and the original case report are available online. Visit academic.oup.com forward slash EHACR for other interesting case reports. Music is Computer by State Shirt.